welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on your podcast app of choice and make sure you check out all of the other great shows we have on the Social Suplex Podcast Network that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. My guest for today is a Twitch streamer and the host of the White Hot Tag Podcast, Mark. And we're looking at Cody Rhodes versus Brody Lee from Saturday Night Dynamite on the 22nd of August, 2020. How are you going today, Mark? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for having me on. It's a huge pleasure to take a chance to look back at any of my favorite matches from AEW. So this is a great one to use. Right. I love this podcast. It's a great excuse, as you said, to go back, watch, and then talk about all of the the great matches that they have on AEW and that they've had. Uh, I've found that it's you know, really been a positive thing for my fandom to be going back and looking at the stuff that I love. So I would highly recommend it to anyone out there to, to go back and look, re, even rewatch these matches that we're, we're going on and, and connect with us on social media if you've got something to add about the match, that you, you know, after you've listened to the conversation um, or, you know, sometimes even before it, but probably afterwards because <laughs> just by way of introducing you to the listeners, uh, I just wanted to know, uh, and as I ask all of our guests here on the Match Guide podcast, how did you get into AEW? So I've been a huge wrestling fan for most of my life. I actually took a break when I was too cool for wrestling in high school and in college, like most people seem to. Uh, it was like 2009 to 2016 or so. I came back to wrestling, loved NXT. I loved what I was seeing there. And then I really started getting tired of WWE. And I found myself looking for other things. I found myself finding independent wrestling. I found myself finding, uh, you know, rekindling a connection with Impact. And I, I even checked out a Ring of Honor show at the time. And then I heard about this group called The Elite. And they were running stuff in New Japan. And then they were pulling together a group of people to put on all in. And I knew maybe five or six people on that card. Like I knew Rey Mysterio. I knew Jay Lethal. I knew of Kenny Omega. I knew Cody Rhodes. And that might've been it. And I just remember feeling like, Hey, this thing's going to be really important. I got to watch this show. So I bought all in, I watched all in and I was sucked in. And after that, I started watching BTE. I started watching all of this other stuff. And then one of the BTE episodes ends with a tease and it shows them all holding up phones that say A, E, and W. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? (laughs) And then I tuned in, watched the press conference, and I have seen every minute of televised or pay-per-view AEW content since. Wow. Does that include dark and dark elevation? That does not include dark and dark elevation. During the pandemic, it got a little fatiguing (laughs) to, I, I love and appreciate everything that Tony Khan did to support independent wrestling pretty much all throughout the, the nation with some of the names he was bringing in. But it was it, it went from like the half hour we filmed Joey Janela versus Kenny Omega before this episode of Dynamite mm. to, 
hey, we've got four hours of wrestling matches for you tonight. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I love this, but I, I can't. I can't. Yeah. I go yeah. back and I check it. I check out the buzz on Mondays and Tuesdays about what matches are good. Like mm-hmm. if Abaddon's working a match, I'm going to watch it because she's fun. Uh, if one of my favorites are working a match, I'll go and watch it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much the same with Dark and Dark Elevation. <laughs> uh, kind of a on, a on a what's getting some buzz basis for me. I'd love to at some point, I'd love to go back and, and, and do on this podcast, actually, the Brandon Cutler and Peter Avalon feud. I actually think that was so good. That was objectively great stuff. Yeah. Uh, And that was all on dark and dark elevation. Yep. Uh, But just going back to all in, I mean, what a baptism to have into Mm. everything. A lot of the people that I've talked to on this, they sort of followed New Japan, followed the Bucks, followed being the elite for, you know, a year, two years up to, you know, leading into all in. Can I just ask, with all in, obviously you didn't you didn't know a whole lot going into it. You didn't know everyone. Who were the thing? What were the things that stood out on that show? Uh, and who were the people that you came out of it going? I, I want to know about more about these guys. Like like you said, I knew almost nothing about these guys. Mm-hmm. I had I had a Twitter account. I had a little following growing at the time. And everybody's talking about all in. Oh, Kazichiko Kata, this. Oh, this guy. And I'm like, I have no idea who these names are. I'm like, all right, fine. Everybody says this Okada guy is like the best thing on earth. All right, I, I guess I got to sit and watch his match. His match with Marty Skrull was very good. Mm. And I came out thinking very positive things about both of them. Um, Worth the extra I, like 10 or 15 minutes they stole. <laughs> for that. I, I, I do remember watching the show, hearing somebody at ringside screaming, Marty, Marty. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this, is, this isn't good. Um. But the, the thing that actually stood out the most to me, and I'm not ashamed to admit it because we didn't know what we know now when it happened, was Hangman Page versus Joey Janela. And that match was excellent, but that match, much like the one that we're going to sit down and talk about today, the post-match angle was tremendous. I had oh known a little bit about this Hangman Page murders Joey Ryan story, and I seeing him be resurrected and seeing these guys in penis costumes come out and having a crowd of 10,000 people chanting rest in penis. I'm laughing. I'm crying. I am loving professional wrestling again because it can be so silly after being so violent and serious. And, you know, looking back on it now, we can say what we want about Joey Ryan and not support him now. At the time, we didn't know this. I mean, you could have probably connected some dots that the the dude whose gimmick is his penis is probably creepy. But at the time, I didn't know. So I'm going to sit back. I'm going to cheer what I'm watching. And that's still a fond memory to me. And I'm not ashamed to admit that. Yeah. So it's it's funny how all it is like a a, just a fantastic reflection of BTE. This mix of you've got like the heart wrenching character stuff like Marty Skrull. Can he be a heavyweight? Cody Rhodes, you know, fighting for the NWA title. But then, it, like, you know, in the say, in the next scene, you've got, you know, Kenny Omega and the joke about the DM. Or, you know, in this case, Hangman Page having, a, having like, a blood feud with someone over, over their penis and drink, drinking urine. <laughs> it's just completely, like, off the charts, off the wall stuff, particularly those early days of VT. I don't think they'd go quite that fast and loose now because there's so many more people watching it and they've got, you know, they have a show that they need to uphold certain standards for it. 
yeah. know, back in those days, there was certainly some real interesting stuff going on, to say the least. And that <laughs> was a reflection of it. That was a reflection of it. Um, that sort of irreverence and cheekiness of it all. Look, we, we do need to get into the actual match itself. I will I will move us move it on, but I thought that was really interesting. That was your first experience with most of these guys. We are, of course, talking about Cody Rhodes versus Brody Lee from Saturday Night Dynamite on the 22nd of August, 2020. Now, as a match, Dave Meltzer did not rate this. He did not give it a rating. And Cage Match also did not rate it because this is a match that's under five minutes. But when we did the AW Match Guide back in 2021, See, that's why you need to listen to us instead of these other people. We did rate it because this is an absolutely <laughs> awesome match and it came in 21st. So giving the match its flowers, this podcast, we're the only people giving it flowers. It's uh, kind of upsetting that it only came in 21st, by the way. Yeah. I mean, we'll if we look at if we if we zoom out and look at it as just the match, I can see yeah. that. But I don't consider this match just the match because no. so much more importance happened after that bell rang. Yes, well, we will get into all of that. We'll, we'll, we'll dig into all of that. And I think there's, particularly we're talking about the post-match, there's, there's a lot of meat to dig into. And I think it is, it's almost a landmark episode of, of Dynamite in terms of the buzz that it generated. But we are going to talk about uh, the build-up firstly. Now, of course, this match was for the TNT Championship. Uh, and I thought this would be a great chance to talk about Cody Rhodes' initial run with the TNT strap because, of course, this was the match where he lost it. And it really was sort of a, a big thing for him to do uh, in the company uh, and for himself and for this title that was created in the midst of a pandemic. He, Cody Rhodes, of course, won it at Double or Nothing 2020 uh, in the final. Uh, and the Dynamite after, he got on the mic and he said, I'm about to cut a schedule that no other wrestler has before. Uh, as of now, I'm declaring an open challenge. Uh, and he would go on to, to push quite a pace. Over the next three months, he would be wrestling most weeks. At the most, he would have one week off between matches. He wrestled Jungle Boy, Mark Quinn, Ricky Starks, Jake Hager, Sonny Kiss, Eddie Kingston, Warhorse, Scorpio Sky, and then Brody Lee. Uh, now, obviously, we are going to dig very deeply into that Brody Lee match later on. But I wanted to to get your thoughts on the rain as a whole uh, because there was a lot of really great stuff there. And I think it was a really important stretch of matches for Cody to have. Yeah, absolutely. The only other person that had a run like this with a championship belt that we can even begin to compare it to is John Cena. And that's a very parallel example of a company's top star taking what is a middle card title mm. and elevating it using their star power and their ring work. And I think Cody did it better than Cena. I think Cody took this title, took his star power, because now he can't challenge for the the AEW title for some stupid reason uh, out of his own pride. But now he's he's defending it. And some of the names that he defended it against weren't throwaways. Like, yeah, he's going to beat Sonny Kiss. Yeah, he's going to beat most of these other guys. But he had some exciting matches along the way. Like, I, I don't remember. Did you, did you mention Ricky Starks? Because I'm pretty yep. sure he had yep. an open challenge against Ricky Starks. Absolutely. I blew up when I heard his music hit because I was watching NWA Power mm -hmm. and Ricky Starks, fantastic stuff. I was so excited that he brought him into the company, gave him an excellent first match. I'm a big Warhorse fan, so seeing that, it was just a it was a showcase of what's going on outside of AEW and a great audition experience because I think that was like Eddie Kingston's first experience yep. with AEW yep. too. Absolutely. So we got so much 
out of that with him bringing people in, showing them off in that match, unfortunately beating all of them along the way. But like, heck, we even got Matt Cardona for a hot second out of the, at the end of the Warhorse <laughs> match. Uh, there, there wasn't a match against him, but there was so, like Cody. His segments were must see because you never knew who was going to come out and answer that challenge. You knew it was going to be a good match and you just you knew that you were going to be excited. So mm-hmm. I think that that alone, like he had three months where he worked, like you said, almost every week and it never got stale. He, he never state overstayed his welcome. Granted, a lot of people, sorry, excuse me. A lot of people weren't super happy that he beat Lance Archer. They thought that he should have won the TNT title first, mm-hmm. but Cody was absolutely the perfect first champion. And that first reign is perfect. Yeah. I'm not sure how good faith those takes were about Lance Archer and saying that he was cooked and those sorts of things. Hindsight's definitely proved the fact that Cody won it right. Um, that was definitely the right decision. And I think, as you said, like this was a case of the wrestler making the title and giving it prestige through the work mm-hmm. that they did. It was Cody Absolutely. with his star power, of course, but it was also through the work that he did in the ring. Uh, and I love with this, you've got a variety of different styles of matches. Um, they are all clocking in. They all clock in between about 10 and 15 minutes. Most of them are around 10 minutes. So they're all like hard hitting. They don't stick around. They don't stick around too long. You know, like really perfect TV matches. Uh, and you've got Cody not only having, you know, like an ODQ match against Eddie Kingston. Um, so a little bit of variety, you know, different a variety of opponents as well. You've got some in-house guys. You've got some guys who are debuting and coming in. Some who have gone on to become like Eddie Kingston. I've, I've got a mate, Rich Ladder, um, on the Social Suplex Network, who's like, Eddie Kingston has almost replaced Cody Rhodes as the heart of AEW. Like, the, the promo guy, the speech guy, the guy that the crowd just be, uh, is just beloved. You know, he debuted in this. Ricky Starks as well, as you said. And and you've also got Cody. He's actually wrestling with a, a little bit of variety as well. You know, he's using different movesets during each match. He's using different finishes. He, he uses an ankle lock to finish Mark Quinn. Um, he uses a reversal of a head and, char- head and, head and arm triangle uh, to beat Jake Hager. You know, like... This is him going out there and showing everything that he can do in the ring uh, and, and how he can get in, get into a match, build up emotional stakes in it, do some interesting things and, and get it finished in a short package that's engaging to watch. And as you said, it became must-watch. Like, this was what people were talking about at the time, Cody's TNT title run. And it, it really made that belt what it is today, I think. Like, that mm-hmm. belt is now thought of as, like, the TNT title is something that you give to someone who is going to be featured prominently. They're going to be defending it regularly. Um, if not week, not necessarily always weekly, but, but certainly fortnightly, once every three weeks, they're going to be in the main events. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be, yes. you know, particularly Darby Allen did that. You know, he was main eventing a lot of shows. Uh, with Brody Lee had some big had some big time matches. Sammy Guevara recently. Uh, and Miro, of course, that was a feature for Miro, and it, it was so incredible for his character. And that mm-hmm. all of that, the all of the prestige and that the title has stems from this run that Cody Rhodes had. Absolutely. Just speaking about the the individual matches, you mentioned Ricky Starks, of course. What do you think were the the highlight matches for you? Oh man, there were so many. Like the the ones that I did bring up, like like 
uh, Ricky Starks, just seeing him come into the company, he worked a fantastic match. I actually believed that he was going to beat Cody during his match just because of the the status that Ricky Starks really had at the time with, with NWA. He was a champion was with champion. them. Yeah, he was their TV champion for a bit uh, after they brought the belt back and he won a tournament for it. Hager, you always think that the bigger guy is going to end up winning, and they did a good job with that match. But again, Cody slayed the giant. Eddie Kingston, I was excited when he came in. I didn't really know a tremendous amount. I knew the guy could talk. I hadn't really seen a lot of his work because it's like every time that I got into Impact or TNA mm-hmm. was like right before or right after he was there. <laughs> Warhorse was super exciting. The, the match was exciting. The fact that it was him was exciting. I was waiting for the handshake after and to get the Warhorse's all elite graphic. Still waiting on that one, Tony. Mm-hmm. Get it to us. <laughs> um and then, you know, the, the requisite match beating Scorpio Sky, who now is the TNT champion. But for a little bit, he was the uh, we need one more win for the guy in the mid card. Let's let's uh, put Scorpio out there against him. So I'm glad Scorpio is getting a featured spot now with the title. Absolutely. The uh, <clears throat> for me, the one that sticks out is Eddie Kingston. Um, you know, he came in just blazing with that super hot promo just running down Cody, running down on Anderson, just blazing hot. And then, of course, like, gets out the thumbtacks and just so much fire from both guys. Uh, that That's the match that really sticks out to me. But I actually watched all of these matches in preparation because I had wow. a little bit of time free. So I watched all these matches. And as I said, they're pretty short, so it didn't take mm-hmm. that long. The ones, Jungle Boy one was really underrated. I remember that at the time kind of sort of rolling my eyes because there's like a blade job. Within 10 minutes, there's like a blade job. A table spot and then at the end there's giant fireworks and a respect spot like it's it's all the cody you can imagine in like yeah. 15 minutes but the actual match itself was was quite underrated and had like a proper main event feel uh and okay. and given that that was his first defense like I, I see why he went all out for it and and i really enjoyed re-watching it uh and as you said like the ricky starks one as well that would be the other one that i'd point out was was particularly good very hard hitting uh, and it relied a lot, a, a lot less on that sort of stuff that Cody became, you know, almost infamous for, uh, <laughs> you know, like the, the smoke and mirrors, the outside interference, the blading, the tables, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. It, it was just a really straightforward uh, and precise match. And I also, I didn't like the Jake Hager match as much, but I loved the ending of it where Hager got in the, the triangle and arm choke and, uh, Cody was able to reverse it, spinning him over and, and getting the pin that way. Um, so that that was, for me, were, I guess, the highlights looking back on it. Um, but certainly the Eddie Kingston one for me is the one that stood out. But one thing I do like about this run is as it went on, you could see, like, the dialing up of the arrogance. You've got the, the matches that across the actual run, you've got a bit of a storyline going on that's progressing slowly. Cody knew that he was on a hot streak. Uh, and you could tell that he knew it. Uh, and there's like a thread of him sort of disagreeing with Arn Anderson and, and going against Arn's wisdom. Uh, and at the same time, sort of his ribs and knees are getting worked over and, and, and giving out a little bit, which leads to enter Brody Lee. Uh, he appeared on the big screen after Cody defended a championship against Scorpio Sky. Uh, and that's, of course, when the new belt was debuted. Before that, Cody was actually using an incomplete belt that they weren't able to get completed before the pandemic finished. And then with Scorpio Sky, they had the new belt with more gold plating, a bit some extra diamonds and things on it, you know, very nice. And Brody Lee appears with the old belt 
uh, and said, history is written by the winners. Brody Lee writes an important chapter in AEW history. Uh, and did you think your sins against the Dark Order would go unpunished? Uh, so very ominous, very brooding. Uh, and he finishes off by promising that he will take the new belt off Cody, but he will give the old one back to him. Bom, 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 foreshadowing something that's going to happen a little bit later. Uh, what did you think of that promo? And, and also just generally, what did you think of Brody Lee and AEW before this program? I was so confused when Brody Lee debuted because they had been building up the exalted one of the Dark Order, this cult, this like weird, spooky stuff was going on. And there were so many red herrings like we had we had they had Raven in the crowd one day and it was like, who's going to be the leader of the Dark Order? And it's like, hey, there he is in a featured spot. There's Raven. And then everybody Daniels. <laughs> they were teasing Chris, the fallen angel. Yep. yep. And then I was convinced it was going to be Matt Hardy leading the exalt as the exalted one of the Dark Order. I mean, he debuted on the same day that Brody Lee did. Yep. I, I just remember being confused, but like excited at the same time because I'm like, well, where are they going to go with this now? Because I had no idea. I'm not always right when I predict things about wrestling. I don't think anybody is always right, but I'm right more often than I'm not. And I totally missed the boat on that one. And I just remember sitting down. I'm like, all right, let's see what they do. And over the next few weeks, they start building up these Mr. Brody Lee vignettes. He's eating steak dinners and, and nobody can eat until he's finished. Apparently he's, he's doing all kinds of different uh, you know, dramatic recreations of Vince McMahon from what we've been told mob boss stuff. Yep. And he really won me over with his character work, let alone the, the dominance that he had in the ring before this, he had an excellent match against John Moxley mm -hmm. that doesn't get enough credit for the AEW championship. That, that was a match that <laughs> deserved the well, good. That match deserved and a live audience. John Moxley's reign deserved a live audience, but unfortunately we got neither of those things. Um, but Brody Lee was fantastic. And it's not even one of those things that we're looking back and we're giving him extra credit because of the unfortunate reality that he's no longer with us. His run with AEW, the, the, what the unfortunate seven or eight months that he had was the best work that he did in his entire career. Um, he, WWE never gave him the time of day to get to that level. There was a time when he absolutely should have been a third in the Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton, WWE title feud. Didn't happen. It's mm -hmm. fine. It's fine. <laughs> but Brody Lee. Apparently Orton, actually, apparently Orton wanted that. And he was like campaigning backstage to try and make it happen. Good. Good. Um, but man. That run was fantastic. That the the match that we're about to talk about was fantastic. Everything that he did was gold, mm. and he did so much for everybody around him. Anna Jay is a superstar now in the company because of his influence and him picking mm. her and the shine that she got from joining the Dark Order at that time. Mm. John Silver is a fan favorite because of the connection that he has to this man. The Dark Order went through this period of time, unfortunately, after his passing and with BTE, with all of the segments that they did, they became the most popular thing in professional wrestling. And they're, they're starting to, to have some dissonance and cool down and whatnot with this hangman stuff. I get it. I mean, it's, it's not going to last forever. But like 
his influence did so much for so many people. Yeah, I, look, can't agree more from everything you just said. For my full thoughts, I guess, like, go back to the the episode where we reviewed John Moxley versus Brody Lee. Uh, that That is a fantastic match. My favourite match of that year, actually. My favourite individual match of Moxley's reign as well. Uh, brilliant. But the way that Brody Lee just, like, so quickly communicated that, like, this is a man of immense power and a man who loves wielding that power over people and the way that he can control people uh, and the way that he can manipulate people and create chaos by, by using the power that he has. Uh, I guess that's like what Brody Lee had communicated, even though he lost against Moxley, like he was put over in that match. I thought, here's a funny story. Before this came on, I wrote a column for Lords of Pain wrestling headlines I was saying, who's going to be the next TNT champion? Uh, And I actually posted it uh, just before this had gone through. And this had actually been pre-recorded beforehand. Apparently, spoilers were out on the internet. So um, (laughs) in the the replies, some people were like, maybe watch Dynamite this Saturday and find out who the next (laughs) TNT champion is going to be. But I, I didn't have Brody Lee in that list because I thought he was above this title. Like, I, my Dark Order representative was Colt Cabana because I, in my mind I had this idea that they were cribbing some things from Scientology uh, in how they did things. And I was like, Colt Cabana is their Tom Cruise. He is going to be, like, their, their figurehead, <laughs> like their stupid idiot figurehead um, who's too stupid to realise that he's being used and he's just going to be super happy to be there. And Brody Lee is going to manipulate things so that he is the TNT champion. That was my like, mm. pitch for a Dark Order member in that list of other people who I listed, you know, Scorpio Sky. That's not a bad pitch. Those sorts of things, yeah. Um, and I thought Brody Lee was above the title because of how dominant and powerful he looked. Um, well, that's one of the battle. In the no, that's one of the beautiful yeah. things of the TNT title is mm. that you might think that someone's above. Like we all thought yeah. that Cody Rhodes was going to be an AEW champion, yeah. and he used that to elevate that belt. Yeah, Brody Lee, like you just said, he's a he's above that title, right? Yeah. No, he is that no. title. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say Darby Allen at the time was above the title. It was a good reign for him. Miro is somebody that with his reign he became bigger than yep. everybody else in that company. I'm sorry, mm. jo- John, who at that <laughs> point, Sammy Guevara, yeah, that's kind of right at the level yep. and Scorpio sky we, uh, way too early to make any sort of yeah. comment on that yet. But you know, like Brian Danielson could take this title and no one would blink an eye now. No, he, yeah, no, nobody would. He's one of the biggest stars in the company. Um, let's get into the match though. Cause one of the reasons mm-hmm. I think that the TNT title is so revered is because of what happens in this match. So um, let's dive in and talk about it. The actual match, big entrances from both of them. Of course, it's at Derby's place, um, but they both get big entrances. God, I miss Brody Lee in the present. Just watching this, the first thing I thought of was like the presence, the way he just immediately like announces himself. Um, he seems so big. And he, of course, he was a big guy, but he, his aura and the power that he, he, he's able to exude is, is so huge. The, the two immediately get in each other's face, stare each other down. Um, Cody looks particularly pumped up during the intro. What did you think of the presentation of the two for this? Well, Brody Lee's presentation was, like you said, it was always intimidating, but it always had this air of humility to it in the sense that it was, it was just, here's Brody Lee, and you were intimidated by the fact that mm. it was Brody Lee. 
Cody Rhodes comes out with so much fanfare. Justin Roberts had to have a card in his hand, probably of all the freaking nicknames to call Cody Rhodes, in, including and it was capped off with the Prince of Pro Wrestling. Like, 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 as you said, he was getting so arrogant towards the end of that reign. I'm surprised that they didn't shoot off like. 10k worth of fireworks with every one of those nicknames. Off the top of the yeah, as well. <laughs> absolutely. Like it was, it was almost ridiculous how much Cody was trying to put himself over with all of these taglines and introductions, whereas Brody Lee just knew that his shit worked. Yeah. And just the start of that match, like you could tell that Cody had like an anxious energy to him, where he was like, "I got to get to him early. I got to get to him early." And then the bell rings. And then he he gets to him early with the only offense he gets in. Mm-hmm. He backs him into the corner and he's got him there for like 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then it's all over for Cody Rhodes. Yeah, he gets uh, his butt whipped all around the arena into the in quotes crowd mm-hmm. because like there was what, like 10 or 15 wrestlers sitting ringside cheering on the match at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just a special kind of butt whooping at that point. Mm. I want to ask you, because as you said, like Cody comes out immediately firing with kicks and punches, backing Brody Lee up, but Brody Lee immediately just pushes him down, hits a massive drop kick, picks Cody up, dumps him to the outside unceremoniously. When did you realize, you know, spoiler, everyone listening to this <laughs> podcast will know, spoiler alert, Brady Lee wins in dominant fashion. <laughs> but when did you realize this match was what it what it was going to be? When Bryce Remsburg hand hit the mat for the third time. Yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't count yeah. out Cody Rhodes. Because like you, you want to compare this to other squash matches later. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but like when I look at a match like this, I think about a match like Brock Lesnar versus either you know Daniel Bryan or Finn Balor, where it was just like he was thrown around a rag doll and then all of a sudden they came back and they almost won. And I was all, I was, I was waiting for it. I was yep. waiting to be disappointed because I was so into Brody Lee dominating Cody. Cause it was so unlike everything we had seen before yep. Cody got in two or three punches in a knee and that was it. And I'm seeing him get thrown around and I'm actively sitting there. Like, I'm like, I'm waiting to be pissed off. Like I've got the angry tweet loaded up of (laughs) this was BS Brody Lee should have won. Cause I'm fully expecting like the, the final couple of moves of this match is Brody Lee power bombs him. Cody's lifeless. He picks him up and Cody's just standing there all groggy, barely able to stand hits him with the discus lariat. I was fully expecting Cody to duck and roll him up and get a one, two, three and scoot out of there with his title. Yeah. I uh, was fully expecting that. So at no point did I realize it was going to be what it was until the bell rang and it was over. So Brody immediately follows up by just tossing from, from tossing Cody out of the ring, just tossing him to the barricades. It's like this brutal looking pump kick, which puts Cody over the barricade. Uh, and, and from that moment, it's just chaos. Like Brody's throwing chairs around. He's giving Cody like these just gnarly looking chops. He's staring down the extras. Yeah. I talked before about like his ability to just exude power. How, how dangerous did he look in this moment? He looked too dangerous to lose. And that added to my perceived, you know, 
uh, uh, again, yeah. well, what would be a good, well, it, I was, I was getting more upset the more offense he was getting in because no matter how much I believed he was about to win, I also truly believed Cody wins. LOL. I thought we were going to get to this point where we were absolutely done with Cody Rhodes before a, a true baby face comes and puts him over. Cause I'm one of those people I've been on team. Cody Rhodes is a heel, not is going to turn heel <laughs> is a heel for a very long time towards the end of his AEW run with the way he was presenting himself over the top. Like every time he said he was a baby face, it was uh, no, no, no Cody. Um, I was, I was fully expecting the triumphant comeback at any point, but he looked Brody looked so great throughout this match. And like the thing that took me most by surprise was how short the match was. Mm. And because like I, I, I rewatched this match this morning and it was three minutes and nine seconds from bell to bell. That's what I saw on uh, on daily motion today is three minutes and nine seconds. That's just, that blows my mind that Cody Rhodes was put away with not getting, without getting any offense in, in just over three minutes. Mm-hmm. And that put Brody Lee over so big. Mm-hmm. And that made him like, he, he grabbed a microphone and was screaming, Chibani, you know what? I'm a problem now. I'm AEW's <laughs> problem. And yeah, Absolutely. You, if if you're gonna put down Cody Rhodes in three minutes, who's gonna touch you? One of the things I, I loved with it was, as you said, like it was only three minutes, but and, and Cody barely got in any any offense. But Cody never gives up. He he's always like trying to maneuver to get yes. some sort of like to get something going. But Brody Lee just cuts him off every time, whether it's with like a huge super kick that he does, whether it's like a giant back mm-hmm. body drop that he does when. Cody like tries to charge at him. As you said, like it, it just ends with him doing these giant power bombs and, and Cody's just completely out of it and literally gets picked up by Brody Lee. Huge discus lariat, doesn't even hook the leg and, and counts three. Um, just incredible selling from Cody. We've been talking putting Brody Lee over, but like the the way that Cody Rhodes sells is incredible, particularly the power bombs. There's one of the power bombs. He like literally just folds up on himself. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing that I you see Joshi wrestlers do. Uh, and then from like a completely complete standstill, he looks like he's completely out of it. He manages to do like the little flip sell um, when Brody Lee hits the hits the discus lariat. So, man, the way Cody Rhodes like shows the power of Brody Lee is, is incredible as well. Uh, and, and as you said, like absolutely, I was I was constantly waiting for Cody to fire up, especially when Brody Lee pulled him up and had him limp. Like I was expecting for I, I for figured Brody that was the moment right here. Yeah, he's like gonna the, duck. He's gonna duck. Yeah, he's gonna duck and he's gonna hit the roll him up one two three or something. Yeah, yeah, but it, it didn't happen. No, I wasn't even expecting a move. Yeah. <laughs> I was fully up. prepared for that level of disappointment where yeah. Cody gets two, two moves in, gets his butt whipped for three minutes. No offense can't stand, but still rolls him up for three. I was fully waiting for that. And, and that made the moment all the more special for me Yeah, because Subverted it was like one of those, like they actually did it. Yeah. It's that subversion of the expectations, which is like what makes this one of 
just the greatest heat segments of all time, really. Uh, and then, yes. like, as, as we said, like the match, it's three minutes and it's just destruction um, and, and from both wrestlers. But then you get to the post-match. The commentators are just completely shocked at what they've witnessed. Cody's shoulder looks totally busted up. Tony Schiavone gets in the ring to interview Brody Lee. Uh, and Brody Lee just looks unhinged. Like, he's just finished off Cody and he's just warming up. Um, that's what it feels like. Yeah, he got he goes, high off of that. Yeah, yeah. And he goes into, into the promo. He's saying no one believed he could do it. No one believed in the, the Dark Order. He even, like, grabs Tony Schiavone, which is like, man, that feels like a tra- complete transgression. Pushes him up against the ropes. It just feels completely claustrophobic. And he briefly, like, is posing with the championship over over Cody. Ray, Cody, he's, like, poking Tony in the chest, telling him that, like, executives like Tony were the ones that held him down. It's just so personal, so intense. There's just, like, this air of menace, which is incredible. He's, he's even given Arn his comeuppance, yep. too. Yep. And all this time, the Dark Order is starting to fill the ring. They've yep. got the, the local medical people from the local medical facility coming in and putting Cody Rhodes in a neck brace and putting him on a stretcher and taking him out of the ring and just selling all of the destruction that he had. And I, I remember and when, looking at the time and I'm like, there's still five or six minutes left. What are they going to yeah. do? And, and then, like, the, the camera cuts to Cody, who gives, like, the thumbs up as he's getting stretched off. And you can see, like, Brody Lee, I don't know if you look at the big screen or something, because he was like, thumbs up? Oh, so you've got more in you, have you? The camera cuts out, pulls out, and you can see the Dark Orders just, like, starting to swarm. I love the way that, like, Arn, he kind of looks around, he, like, assesses what's happening. And he's, well, we now know he, like, pulls out his Glock. But at that point, he just starts shooting off. The- <laughs> he punches first. I know what's about to happen, and I'm going to take some of you with me. Goes off first, but he's completely overwhelmed. Um, when Brody gets in, everything just starts getting thrown around. The EMTs are going left and right, and then they get the stretcher. They just push it over, and Cody just flops over with the backboard. It's just absolute chaos. Then Brody gets a black bag and just whacks Cody in the face with it. Uh, just decks him in the center of the ramp, standing over him with the rest of the Dark Order. And then they start bringing out members of the Nightmare family. You get Dustin, you've got QT, they're all getting stacked up. Uh, and then, like, the cherry on top, Brandy comes out, still in a gear from she'd wrestled earlier, so she's still in the gear. She's cowering over Cody, trying to protect him, trying to, like, console him, find out what's happening. And you can just see a sadistic smile on Brody's face. Uh, he, he beckons Anna Jay over and offers Brandy up to her. Anna Jay gets Brandy in a rear naked choke, chokes her out. It's it's so special. <laughs> just the chaos, the violence, the shock, the subversion of what what's happened in the match. Talk me through how you're feeling when all this. I I felt so happy for Brody Lee and for the Dark Order. Mm. So often there are groups just like them with leaders just like Brody that they get built up just enough to be intimidating and then they lose everything that matters. And it was in that moment that Brody Lee won what really mattered to him and he won the TNT championship. So I'm, 
I'm, I'm over the moon at that. And then all of a sudden they have them, like you said, dragging out lifeless bodies of everyone that Cody Rhodes is close to. And it's putting over how no one is safe now from the dark order. And it's legitimizing them at not only as, as you know, intimidating, but like they're going to follow through. They're not just silly hired goons. They're not losers trying to win anymore. Like they were at the beginning of their formation. That was like, Hey, we have our leader. We found our direction. Watch out. Anna J becomes a superstar from choking out Brandy Rhodes on the dynamite ramp there. And as Brody Lee's standing there holding the title, Taz says like three or four times to make sure we heard it. It's the beginning of a new world, a new era in, in AEW. And in all honesty, for a little over a month, it was, it was the Brody Lee show. It was the dark order show. And it was fantastic stuff. It was, it's something that I feel like it's all, it's way too rare because you see these, like I said, you see these groups get built up and then, nothing really happens with like Lance Archer has been built up to be this intimidating monster. That's going to destroy everybody. The, the big one for him was the, the NJPW us title on an episode of dynamite, but he hasn't won a big AEW match. Hmm. Uh, Brian cage never won a big AEW match. And there's, there's so many of these people that get to that level just to put over a guy like Cody Rhodes and then they kind of fizzle away for a little bit. And the fact that Cody Rhodes went out on his back, no offense, all of that chaos just cemented, don't mess with the Dark Order. And, and to a degree, like you mentioned Brian Cage, you mentioned, mentioned Lance Archer. The point of those monsters is to get beaten by people like Cody Rhodes, by the heroes. Like Lance Archer mm-hmm. was as good as he is. Uh, and, and as great in the ring as he is and as much of a giant and, and as menacing as he can look, Cody Rhodes is a hero of this company, mm-hmm. particularly oh, yeah. in early 2020. Like, he is one of the hearts of the company, one of the creators, mm-hmm. uh, one of the best they've got on the mic, one of their biggest draws. Lance Archer's job is to lose to someone like Cody. But when it gets subverted like this, that just makes it even more special. Uh, and I just love how Brody made this so personal as well. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's blaming Tony Schiavone. I don't know if he's ever had words with Tony Schiavone on the program before, but he is like saying it's people like you, Tony, that mm-hmm. held me down. He's like getting in Arn Anderson's face. He's not letting Cody have anything. He has to take everything from Cody. And the final piece of that is when he posed the final thing he does. He's like posing over Brody, over Cody. And he pours the busted up belt that Cody had. You know, we talked about how Cody took this belt that meant nothing, that was incomplete. And he had this fantastic run, which gave it so much prestige in that. But Brody Lee is saying, no, I, I care nothing for that. I've broken this belt. I've destroyed it. And I'm pour, now pouring it on top of you. I'm giving it back to you because I've got no need for it. I've got this beautiful belt and this belt is going to be mine. And through circumstances that, you know, are very sad and, and are beyond the control of this and what they'd ever planned, that belt actually does become the signature Brody Lee belt because and, and is now the thing that's associated with him. It's the one that got handed to Negative One at the end of that beautiful Dynamite tribute show. Uh, and that that belt will now be forever associated with Brody Lee. And it stems from this 
incredible ending to the TV show. And as you said, like a new day has dawned. I want to immediately contrast this, right, with the what they were trying to do at the end of 2019. Because we'll talk about the legacy of this segment, a lot of things about it, but there's a direct comparison because they tried to do this with the Dark Order before. That at the end of 2019, they had them here pulling a face that is very apt. They had them stack up the, the entire elite, like not just Cody, but the Bucks, oh, yeah. Kenny Omega, not Hangman Adam Page, which is, was interesting that he wasn't part of it, but the Bucks, Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes, the EVPs of the company, the stars of this company, they stacked them up at the end of 2019 and it was a disaster. This, they stacked, he stacked them up and it was an absolute triumph. What's the difference? Like, what, what was the difference between those two segments, Mark? Brody Lee. That's, that's <laughs> it. That's it. The Dark Order, when it was Evil Uno and Stu Grayson as the lead. Well, it was really Evil Uno was the leader, and Stu Grayson was like his henchman. And he started recruiting people. And I remember the first time I saw the Dark Order, wondering, what the heck is all this about? What are these guys doing in their, their morph suits? And like, what, what's go- why is everyone wearing masks? Whatever. And then early on in Dynamite's life cycle, they started running these join the Dark Order vignettes. And I can't tell you how many times I submitted my own information to join our join darkorder.com. <laughs> They were never good at getting it, back to people, you know? That's no, no. Them. Apparently they got back to like a whole bunch of people in one weekend. I wasn't one of them. <laughs> I'm still salty about that. Um, However, they started building up a little bit more credibility, I guess you could say, but they were still a group of losers. And the best bet that they ever had was to overwhelm you with numbers. And man, that segment at the end of that dynamite where the there's fake punches being thrown on the hard cam, everyone's looking like a dork in the ring. And as intimidating as they tried to make the Dark Order look, it didn't do anything positive for them. If anything, it pulled them back a few steps. I remember being done with them at that point. Yeah. Like I had seen Silver and Reynolds on the independence, and I was I was blown away by especially John Silver's work rate. I was blown away. I'm like, show me that guy. Give me that guy in AEW. They weren't doing it. They they because they were a joke and they were they were losers. And that's, that's fine because if that was all corrected when Brody Lee came in and joined them and his leadership, you know, in kayfabe, he became the general, the leader, the exalted one of the dark order. And under him, they became scary. They were, they now went from, from losers to everybody in dynamite in AEW needs to be on watch. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think also just how physical it was, you know, the difference between that, like those missed punches, which of course they're not really going to punch, but you know what? I bet Cody was like, Oh, I understand. It was, it was just pathetic. You, I bet, but but I bet like Cody was like, you better really mess me up here because Cody Rhodes is a bit of a psycho. He will, he will put himself through some stuff. I bet he was like, you better really smash me with that bag of belt. Like I want you to really whack me. I want the audience to feel it. It felt violent. It felt dangerous in ways that, that that other one felt very contrived. It seemed very obvious what they were trying to do. It was like they weren't guys that Kenny Omega should be Kenny Omega should be killing everyone with a V trigger in that ring. Like <laughs> the Bucks should be super kicking everyone. 
they should be little goons that get that get knocked over for a super kick party. But then, you know, when Brody Lee's at the center of it and they've got a bit more character and they've got presence, and Brody Lee's been through that match with Moxley and that program, it, it's just so different. Uh, and and mm-hmm. the way they presented it was so much better. Yeah. Generally, like moving beyond the individual match itself, I guess, talking about sort of the legacy. One of the things I loved that this did was it, it kind of set up a legacy for the TNT title that it's almost the belt itself that beats you. Because, of course, we had like Brody Lee uh, was absolutely overwhelming. But Cody Rhodes went into it. He he had those injuries starting to mount up. He had like a growing sense of arrogance. Uh, and that was something that would play into future runs. You know, like Darby Allen was getting more and more beaten up as it went. Same with Sammy Guevara. Same with even Miro. Like, it, it's it's a title that almost demands too much from its owner. Hmm. I've never thought about it that way. That's a, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Because that is definitely, that's absolutely the case with Cody's run. Hmm. Um, I don't I don't know if we could say that about Brody Lee's run. No, that, but that doesn't fit it. Or Cody's every second. other, every other, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, Cody's second and uh, his his third third run Schmerd run. Uh, that was all. That was all unnecessary. Yeah, no. Darby Allen definitely got done in by being the champion because it that put a target on his back. And Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky would not leave him alone. They threw him down concrete flights of stairs, and he always found a way to win until you know yeah. God's favorite champion came in. And it's almost like God cared more about the title than about Miro at one point. And here comes Sammy Guevara. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like that parallel. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, because you had the the thing with Miro was they had the neck. And just like every yeah. match, there would be yeah. more and more work getting done on it, even by like Fuego de Sol, <laughs> like getting those DDTs in. And then Eddie Kingston was the one that kind of highlighted that and, yeah. and really went to work on that. And then Sammy Guevara was able to sort of take Miro down when Miro had been weakened through just like, constantly having to carry the burden of this belt. Uh, and then Sammy, of course, that was how Scorpio Sky ended up getting the win. Like, Sammy Guevara just couldn't keep up the pace that was required. And I, I love, I don't know, I kind of love that that for the title. I'm not sure if that's going to be the way that Scorpio Sky runs it, but it, it's a cool concept. Um, it's like yeah. you can you can only ever take this belt so far before it overwhelms you, but it's a case of, like, how far can you take it, which is a great thing for, like, a particular face champion to, to be running yes Uh, i wanted to compare this also to just other great squash matches that we've seen because as we said Mm -hmm. like it's three minutes long you can't even get it there's not even rating for it on cage match no because they don't rate matches that are five minutes or under but like i think there's art to what they did here uh and and other ones that like immediately come to mind when i'm thinking of of this sort of match is um the ultimate warrior versus honky tonk man at SummerSlam 1988 so where the Honky Tonks had this like long reign and everyone hates him and Ultimate Warrior just runs through him like a hot knife through butter. Uh, and then you've got, it's actually a lot of SummerSlam matches. You've got like Lesnar versus Cena from 2014 when Lesnar just dominated into win the title. And that was similar in that like you're constantly waiting for the comeback that never happens. Lesnar versus Orton just for the, like at SummerSlam 2016, just for the one-sided intense violence. Goldberg versus Lesnar for the shock of it. And then like the Fiend versus Finn Balor for like how it establishes something. And, and all of those do like one or two things that this match does, but I don't think they encapsulate so much as much as, as this match. 
Yeah, I mean, from a shock value standpoint, you know, Goldberg's return, that was actually, that marked my return to being a pro wrestling fan. Because I remember really? hearing, yeah, yeah because like, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not ashamed to admit that Goldberg is my all-time favorite professional wrestler. Now, if I look at him, there's two distinctly different Goldbergs. There's Goldberg until about 2003, and then there's Goldberg after. And <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Goldberg after. You don't like him uh, having he, like all Japan Kings Road matches with the Undertaker dropping each other I on the head. I, <laughs> the only fun match he's had in his entire comeback, aside from the Lesnar squash, was him turning Dolph Ziggler inside out. <laughs> and because that was when he was used correctly. And like Goldberg should have never been Universal Champion. He should not have beaten Kevin Owens or. Yeah, he beat Kevin Owens at Fastlane. He should have never beaten The Fiend with a suplex in Saudi Arabia. Let's forget about that. (laughs) But him coming back and him beating Brock Lesnar in seconds at the to end Survivor Series was gigantic. And that shock value is honestly very similar to how shocked I felt when Bryce Remsburg hand actually hit the mat for the third time. Because even honestly, even after the discus lariat where Cody couldn't stand, I was still waiting. I like I didn't delete the the angry tweet until Brody Lee was holding the belt. And I I, I wish I could compare it to that ultimate warrior match that you had mentioned. I I wasn't alive then. I look a lot more grizzled and older than I am. (laughs) But I mean, I'm I'm a a 90s baby. That was also before I was born. Just. Put it out. Okay. 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 Watched in retrospect that one. <laughs> and, and there's something to be said for doing stuff like that. I just like so to go ahead to to talk to what you were saying just there with Goldberg and Lesnar that like there is something to it. So as I said, I wrote for, for wrestling headlines, Lords of Pain. They have Lords of Pain Radio was their podcast network at the time, uh, and listen, I wasn't on it, but I I knew the people that were and listenership for the show the aftershock after uh, so after that survivor series and then the raw the raws that came after it quadrupled and they weren't small numbers like they were in the thousands the listener numbers but the goldberg thing just got it brought people in people were like i want to know what's going on here so you're not alone in 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 that, that match being something that brought people back or got people interested uh in in what was going on you know Think about it what you will in terms of like Lesnar's title run and 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 the effect that guys like Goldberg had on the I guess the more modern WWE wrestlers at the time superstars. Uh, but that match drew interest across the board. Um, and and your testament to that. Uh, and and there's something to that in in AEW. It's not something they've done regularly. You know most most of the time matches are at least at least like in the 10 minute range. Um, and there's, there's at least a little bit of back and forth, even if it's one sided, of course, dark and dark elevation are different stories, but I'm talking the televised on TV product mm-hmm. that's on, on rampage and dynamite. The ones that I could think of is Omega versus sunny kiss, but that's hardly, that was hardly comparable. It's, it's quick. Honestly though, honestly, cause Kenny Omega was, was a, a fun loving EVP that was turned into a monster. 
at yeah. that moment. That 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 V trigger and you know uh, one winged angel and just demolishing Sunny Kiss marked a very big turn in my opinion with the character that he was portraying. Mm-hmm. They had been teasing a little bit with the yeah. cleaner girls coming out and dancing, but that was that was him announcing that you know fun's over. I'm I'm here to win the title. It's over. Yeah, the the I mean the look on his face after he did the one winged angel has become like a meme that just gets used over and over. And so that that's fair enough. But like not on the same level that this one was in terms no, of no. the shock value or or anything like that. It was like, oh wow, that was quicker than I thought it would be. Course, nobody nobody thought Sunny Kiss was gonna get anything done in that yeah. match. Nobody nobody was like, oh Sunny Kiss might advance into the turn. No. And no, but it was just how it happened. Yeah. And then, of course, the other time that they've done it was Malachi Black, who did pretty much the same thing to Cody a year later um, when he debuted and, and beat Cody in, in Malachi's debut match. There was a little bit more back and forth, but very little. Uh, and Malachi Black pretty much destroyed Cody um, from the point where he knocked him through a table and then hit him with one black mass and got out. I think the difference is just the aftermath wasn't quite the same. Didn't Cody try to leave his boots in the ring after yeah, that match? He did. Yeah, he feigned that he was going to retire, but then, but then Malachi Black took him out again. Um, yeah, you used the word yeah. contrived earlier, and that was that's really how that moment comes across to me. It really felt manufactured, just trying to get a point across that Cody felt overmatched. I don't know. It it, it was special when Brody Lee did it to him, and it just felt unnecessary like it was i felt like oh, we've seen this before when they tried to do it with malachi see for me i i really like that i i thought it was really well done but it's just in hindsight now because i know what the second and then the third the fourth match looks like it doesn't doesn't have doesn't resonate the same way as it did like and yeah. even though of course we know that cody's going to go on and win the match that him and Brody lee would have the return match the dog collar match was so good and so gritty and so violent. It was a fitting follow-up, whereas I feel like mm. it didn't, and, and it, it only enhanced what the first match was. Um, whereas this, True. And I'd say like the Malachi Black ones was diminishing returns after that. So uh, yeah, not Fair. not quite the same. I, and I guess the only other one that I could compare more recently, which was kind of one they kind of botched a little bit due to timing, was when Scorpio Sky beat Sammy Guevara, and you had like um, Paige Van Zandt signing her contract on Take on His Ass and things like that. <laughs> you know, not the same level of uh, intense, violent chaos, but a different yeah. sort of chaos going on there. Yes. And then, and then look, the, the other thing I just guess I thought I'd, I, we could draw some comparisons with was there are some great Dynamite endings. Uh, and I think there's something when Dynamite goes off the air and you've got just chaos happening or something, some sort of crazy universe shattering uh, thing happening and like like this after this happened there was so much activity of people talking on social media um people speculating about what the future was and, and just being you know very effusive in their praise for it uh and i just thought it'd be interesting to get your take and like where you think it compares to um for instance like the inner circle debut on the first dynamite you've got the bullet club reunion after omega vs phoenix at the start of 2021 uh, and then the debut of Kenta a few weeks later. Uh, and then the other ones that I could think of, which are both pay-per-view endings, but but were sort of almost universe-altering things, was the ending of the barbed wire death match, where you have Eddie Kingston running out in a post-match angle that, oh, man, what could have been? Um, and then 
but in a better way, the ending of All Out 2022, where you had like double debut of Adam Cole and Brian Daniels. Where do you think this this ranks amongst those in comparison? Amongst the ones that you brought up, uh, especially with Dynamite, I would put this ahead of all of the other ones. Yep. Um, purely because of how how significant it felt at the time. And unfortunately I am going to give it a a few extra points because of the unfortunate reality that we lived through a few months after it, because it wasn't, it wasn't far long after that, that we lost Brody Lee. So he didn't have a chance to really follow up on this because his dog collar match, you know, 46 days later against Cody Rhodes again was his final appearance. Mm. And uh, the, the inner circle forming was tremendous and it had a huge impact on AEW for years. Mm. I was there when I was there in Boston, when Chris Jericho brought them all out and named them the inner circle and it felt special. And I, I, I'm, I'm not as high on all the NJPW stuff as a lot of other people. So I, like, I don't, I don't have you a, new, no, you a new Japan fan, which is interesting. Exactly. Was, exactly. Cause like, Japan I don't, fan. yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have the nostalgia of the bullet club to really go off of. I'm sure if I did, then I would have had a very different opinion of that segment and that barbed wire death match ending uh, great character turn, great character yeah. turn for Eddie yeah. Kingston coming out to save his friend, man. I sincerely hope that there was some traumatic malfunction and that they had like, I'm not expecting actual dynamite in the ring to actually blow up. <laughs> But like they could have, they could have done so much better than they did. Reading Mox's book, he says like he was so pissed off. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> bet. Was, I bet. Lying there, being like, "Oh, our characters are screwed forever now." <laughs> it was, it was, it was a couple of of sparklers on the ring yeah. posts and a firecracker worth of an explosion. Like mm. honestly, if they had like cut away to some like pre-made video of Daly's place blowing up on TV <laughs> and it absolutely not happening in real life. I'm all for it. Give me something super campy. Let, mm. let me love that rather than this. Yeah. Honestly, I would have much rather have had Eddie Kingston defuse the bomb at one, like one second left. If you're, if you're not going to blow it up, <laughs> At least leave everybody with the tease so you can figure out how to do it better later. I don't know that, but man, the significance though of the all out double mm-hmm. debut of Adam Cole and Brian Danielson was gigantic. Mm-hmm. I know I use that word a lot, but I can't think of a, of a bigger moment in AEW. Like the writing was on the wall. We kind of knew Adam Cole was coming in because he had just let his contract expire for the sake of doing this, there was no way Adam Cole was resigning. And, you know, Kenny Omega's cutting a promo about how there's nobody that can beat him dead or alive. The lights cut out. Everybody knows it's Adam Cole. He's in the ring. They're celebrating. And then out comes Brian Danielson. And I just remember watching this and like, I was, I was blown away by the fact that Adam Cole was even on my TV. And then all of a sudden here comes Daniel, Brian Danielson. And even even with that, that's probably only my second favorite pay-per-view ending from AEW's tenure because I'm pretty sure it was double or nothing the first one when John Moxley comes in and oh, comes through the I crowd. Oh, how could I forget it? 
when he comes through the crowd and he levels Kenny Omega and he announces he's there, that moment brought me from, hey, I like this niche little thing called AEW that no one's ever heard of before to, man, this shit's real. And that that to me is probably the best pay-per-view go off the air moment. But but I would say I I could safely say that Brody Lee standing over the dark order, just relishing and the demolishing of the nightmare factory. That's the best dynamite ending. So firstly, I'm going to have to hand in my Mox fan card now. (laughs) Sorry, it's been a great (laughs) run. My favorite wrestler of all time. And I couldn't even remember that. (laughs) Of course, that's the best. Um, But no, look, secondly, I, I agree, like Dynamite going off the air. I, as I said, like I was a massive New Japan fan. So it, it wasn't nostalgia for the Bullet Club that was because Bullet Club in 2022 is 2021 even, like not what it was. It, it's more just the, oh, New Japan guys are showing up. The possibilities for that is is giant. Forbidden door. Um, because I love New Japan as a product as well. But in terms of like emotionally where this ended and and what how this made you feel in the moment this has got to be the best one and it was only like the i guess the praise for it is they tried to do it again with malachi black like it worked so well that they just did pretty much exactly the same thing a second time with even with one of the same wrestlers like with cody as well so yeah that you know as i say imitations are highest form of flattery and they imitated themselves just the violence the chaos the and and the way that it felt like something momentous had happened, like we just witnessed something truly dramatic, truly momentous, yes. was was incredible. Uh, yes, that's all I have to say about this match. Um, I, I really appreciate all of your thoughts. I just wanted to to ask before we before we get out of here and give our plugs, was there anything else you wanted to to mention about this match? No, no, I I, I think we've tied a pretty nice little bow on it. Yeah, this match, I'm. I'm disappointed that we've only put it to number 21 overall, (laughs) but in all honesty, I guess that goes to point out just how high quality the matches on AEW dynamite and in AEW in general have been through their short run. It's something that we, we get a lot of flack on the old Twitter over here for uh, people saying that we uh, we're just blind marks and we like it Mm -hmm. too much. And we'll, we'll eat up whatever Tony Khan feeds us. These, these, we're getting some good stuff out of these guys and it, objectively speak like if this match happened in wwe this is probably the best thing that wwe would have produced in the last five or six years <laughs> just putting that out there i'm not gonna quite go there but <laughs> I, like this wouldn't happen in wwe though it just couldn't like no it could the, the yeah. work that has to go into to building it up well and again like as we said brock lesnar versus um, Goldberg, kind of, it, it did a similar thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I get where you're coming. Don't worry, I get where you're coming from, though. But yeah. the, just the different parts that all went into this, the build-up of the TNT title, the the build-up of Brody Lee, and there's something special. To, there is something special to it in that this was literally, like, the best work Brody Lee was ever doing. And then mm. he did very sadly die within six months of this, within yeah. Four months even, um, which is, you know, really sombering to think of. I'm so thankful that they were able to keep oh, his condition yeah. so close to their chest and under wraps mm-hmm. and nobody knew mm-hmm. because like, 
the entire time after the dog collar match, I, I, I was giving him a couple of weeks to sell the, yeah. the devastation of the match. But after that, like every week, I'm thinking, what's Brody going to do to come back? What, what's going to happen next? What's Brody going to do next? And every time I'm watching the Dark Order and BTE, I'm like, man, they're without D- dad's not home. They're kind of running a little fast and loose here. Can't wait till he comes back and puts them all in their yeah. place. And that was sadly the last we saw of him. Mm. And I I still remember the the feeling that I had of when I logged on to Twitter and it was moments after AEW had shared the statement that John Huber had passed away. And I just remember being taken aback. I was, I was too young to really understand the importance of either Chris Benoit or Eddie Guerrero's death. Mm-hmm. Like I knew, I knew obviously what was going on, but like, I don't know. I was, I was, I was a kid mm-hmm. and there's been nothing even remotely close to this since their passings. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry if, if, uh, if I mentioned the boogeyman, a lot of podcasts don't like to mention, no, that's okay. uh, he, mention it, that guy, what, what uh, happened, but happened. It, absolutely. But just, I, I remember the, how, how, how devastated I was that he had gone. And cause there was so much left for him to do. Mm. He was just getting started. Yeah. And I feel like that's probably the most important takeaway that I have from this whole thing is this was, this was in August. He debuted in February Right. It was the last it was the last dynamite of February or was the last one of March. It was it was because like they shut down right after it would. It was in March. It was in March at the end of February. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So he had he had been in the company for five months when this all happened. Add on a sixth or a seventh by the time his his title reign ends. He was just getting started. He was on the best run of his career. He was on the best run of many people's career. And it it just it just adds to the tragedy of him being taken from us so soon. There, there is something beautiful that literally the the greatest feud, the greatest program that he was ever in is the last one he ever did. And and thank goodness that he got to do this. He got to have this just incredible moment, and and it's undeniable how good he was, how incredible he was. It's there for us all to see. We've just been effusive in our praise for the last hour mm-hmm. um, and, and how good it was. So, yeah, look, rest in peace to Brody Lee. And, and yeah, I'm really glad we got to talk about this match. I thought you, you mentioned you're, you're sad that it was only 21st. I thought it's fantastic. It's a tribute to how good this was that it came in 20. Not only did it come in 21st, the dog collar match came in. I think I don't have the list in front of me. It was like 12th or 11th. So, okay. so okay. not only did people vote for the dog collar match, they also voted for this because even though it's only a three-minute match, it was just so so impactful, uh, and it's so beloved. And and hopefully, it's something that Dynamite that that AEW remembers. I think it will be something that AEW remembers for a long time. Uh, and they remember him every amazing. time they start an episode. It's Wednesday night. Yeah. You know what that means. Yep. Indeed. So his legacy is not going anywhere anytime soon. Indeed. Mark, I, I really appreciate you coming on here today. Uh, it's been fantastic to chat to you about this match. Uh, if, if people want to chat to you and reach out to you or, or know more about what you do, where can the good people find? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, at inside the mark with an underscore on the end. Some douche took the uh, inside the mark. He has one. He's following one account. And it's Justin Timberlake hasn't tweeted since January. I mm, <laughs> I hate that, uh, but I do stream on Twitch. I play a lot of MLB the show. Uh, I'm usually on there about three thirty. 
p.m. Eastern time uh, for anybody that's listening. Uh, I usually like to sit and talk about wrestling. So if you want to find me, I'm at inside the mark with an underscore uh, at the end on Twitter. You can find me and my uh, host who goes by keeping kayfabe at the white hot tag. Uh, we post on YouTube a couple of videos every week talking about things that are uh, timely in the, the world of wrestling. Occasionally there's things like rankings and, and tier lists and stuff like that as well. But yeah. Uh, again, thank you for having me on. This was a really great excuse to watch another uh match again and it was a a great excuse to get me up early on a sunday too because the uh the old time zone difference here it's it the world is a small place like you're 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 in australia i'm sitting here on the east coast of connecticut and we're sitting here talking wrestling the great unifier absolutely couldn't agree more uh and look if if you're listening today you want to reach out and let let me know your memories of Brody lee let me know how you, what you thought of this match, what you thought of the post-match, how it compares to those other matches we spoke about. I'd love to hear it. You can hit me up on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. Uh, and as always, you can rate and review the podcast. If, if you've enjoyed what we've done, you can support us with donations. That just goes to paying bills, paying for hosting. These things do cost money. So if you do have that, if you do have that in you, then we would really appreciate the donation. That's on Red Circle com.au and if you find search search the social suplex podcast network or the aw match guide you can find that and lastly thank you for listening we we really appreciate the listens here uh and we we love having you along for this ride and i can't wait to see you again next week where we will deep dive into another of aw's best matches see you then thanks for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.